This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. So, you know, Hollywood, everyone is always talking about the big four, the big four of thrash and metal, Anthrax, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth. But as big a hard rock and metal fans as you and I are, and given the time that we grew up, the period of time in the 80s when hair bands and hard rock and the Sunset Strip were so huge, why is it that nobody has ever really talked about who should be in the big four of 80s hard rock, hair metal, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's definitely never really talked about because I think the big four are hard to come by. Like, I'm not sure if you ask 10 rock fans who the big four are out of the eighties, I think you would get 10 different sets of answers. And I think that's the hard part where like in grunge or even seventies rock, or especially sixties metal and rock, you would get pretty much the same answers. There's a lot of people selling a lot of albums between like 78 and 90. So it gets a little fuzzy. Yeah. And I think you have to figure out, well, what are we, what are we basing the big four on? Because is the big four, of thrash and metal, your Metallica's, Megadeth's, Slayer's, Anthrax's, are they the big four because they're the godfathers of thrash? Are they the big four because they sold the most albums? I mean, what is the criteria for the big four? See, for those guys, I think it was the big four just because of the tour. I'm not exactly sure. I would say these are the big four of thrash. I don't know thrash that well, but really Slayer, dude? Like, how'd they end up on the list? Well, they were the big four before the tour came about. To be honest, I don't know the history of that term, the big four, but I thought they were referred to as the big four before that tour ever happened. Certainly Metallica deserves to be there. They've sold trillions of albums. <laughs> I mean, they're they're definitely the gold standard in terms of, of thrash metal, and they were sort of at the forefront and opened people's eyes to that music. But I've heard many discussions about some of the other bands being there and, and some of the bands that maybe should be there that aren't there. Either way, I mean, listen, I think there's a lot to discuss, a lot to uncover here. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth as we go and give some of our opinions. But before we do all of that, you know how we likes to do it here at Growing Up Rock. We got to do this first. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. 
So like we always like to do here, we want to turn you on to some new music. So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from a band called Big City. And the album is called Testify X. This band is another band that's signed to Frontiers Records, and they hail from Norway. So another Norwegian band, big surprise. A little bit different flavor on this type of band. Check out this song. It's called The Rush.
So this album came out a little while ago. I had listened to it in full and I was like, it's good. It's melodic. It's frontiers. It's very listenable. I just didn't see anything super special with it. Like it didn't have Agreed. the heat or eclipse hooks. Mm-hmm. It didn't really even have the striker type hooks and strikers not on frontiers, but you kind of get what I'm saying is like, there's gotta be something that connects you to this stuff because otherwise it's like that top 40 pop that always hits the charts that just kind of sounds like everything else and gets lost in the mix. There are two types of rock albums that I have in my repertoire, Pony. One is the album that you seek out and you put on because you want to hear songs A, B, and C, and you just like it. So I would chalk that up to the Heats, the Eclipses, and then the old stuff, the Van Halens, all those classic albums. And then you have albums that are just good, but nothing necessarily special, but I like to put it on when maybe I'm reading a book or cleaning the house where I don't, you know what I mean? I don't have to necessarily pay close attention, but if I look up from the floor once in a while and hear it, I'm not offended and I like it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I have playlists for that, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, same thing. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's kind of what this Big City record is for me. I think it's a solid record, but I'm with you. I don't think there's necessarily anything groundbreaking or special about this record. It's just a good, decent record. I mean, if you like The Rush uh, and you want more like that, I think you're okay to get this record and would enjoy it. So, there you go. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So the big four. So it was an idea Stephen pitched. Thought it was a good idea. We have not shared who we picked as our big four. So that part will be interesting. I'm sure we both took a different route to who our big four of the 80s were. You know, you mentioned the whole Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax as the big four in Thrash, right? Some people would say... Pantera's thrash. Some people would say Pantera's not thrash. Maybe they end up on the big four of a nineties list or something like that. But you know, I don't know. I, I guess I was never a huge Slayer or Anthrax fan, so I don't quite get why they're in the big four. When you hear the big four of grunge, normally you hear Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Everybody would probably have those differently ranked. Uh, Nirvana wouldn't even be on that list for me. That's because I don't like Nirvana at all, but that's a different thing. But these are, you know, these were the four probably that were the biggest in grunge. So we came up with this thing to do it for the eighties. I'm going to kind of share how I got my list and then I'll share my first two. And then we'll go to Steven. For me, if you're going to talk eighties, there has to be an MTV effect. There's no way around it. It was the biggest thing that was there that was launching bands. So that has to be in the mix for me. There obviously has to be album sales, whether people think that just because you sell albums, you're great. You know, everybody sells albums in the eighties. Doesn't make them all great but I think it has to have a little bit of a mix there. I think there's some charting success you have to look at because when you have mass appeal, that's what makes you big. That's why some of these guys can still play arenas or at least big theaters or play a hundred dates and sell out because they had the mass appeal. So to me, the songs matter too. Then there's interesting things that happen in the eighties because you have disco going out, British invasion coming in. You've got, this heavier music coming in that turns into this kind of a, let's say hair metal that kind of turns into this sleaze. So you have these weird genres within hard rock and hair metal that are crossing over to pop charts 
and starting to hit the hot 100. So if you started in the mid eighties, can you really be part of the big four? If you start in the late eighties, could you really be, if you were done by the mid eighties, could you really be part of the big four? So I kind of put that into mix too. After I did all that, I came up with about, let's see, one, two, three, four, seven possibilities, really eight, right? I came up with eight, but one of them was journey. So I, did, I bumped them out. Cause I'm like, eh, hard rock, hair metal, and eh, probably not journey. Right. So I bumped them out. But the other seven had a shot and then I took it down to four. So my number four, we're going to go to the East coast and I picked Bon Jovi. So that was my number four. You know, you got four albums in the eighties, you got the self-titled, got 7,800 Fahrenheit, Slippery When Wet, New Jersey, all four were in the top 50 on Billboard 200. Slippery in New Jersey went to number one. First two albums went platinum. Slippery went diamond. New Jersey sold seven times platinum. That's 16 singles with 12 of them hitting the Billboard 100 eight top 10 hits, four number one hits. So if you're kind of looking at quick success, right? Cause these guys don't get started really till 84. So you could say mid eighties, but you got good songs. You got good looks. You got great timing. You got MTV. So to me that equals big four. And these guys were all over posters and walls because between John and Richie, every teenage girl and a lot of the guys bought these posters to put up on the wall. And that's why they're still doing arena type gigs today. So Bon Jovi is my number four, my number three. And then I want to get your thoughts. I kind of went British invasion and I went with Def Leppard. So here you got four albums released in the eighties on through the night, high and dry pyromania hysteria. Cause it took forever to release <laughs> albums. But the difference here is they started in 80 versus a little bit later, the Bon Jovi on through the night went platinum high and dry went double pyromania and hysteria, both diamond albums. All the albums hit the Billboard 200. Pyromania stalled at two, but Hysteria went number one. They had 15 singles. 10 of them hit the Hot 100. Seven that hit the top 20 and poured some sugar on me went number two. Love Bites went number one. And now you got the entire band that's got the good looks. So they're all over posters and teenage walls and a lot of girls. They attracted both sexes. Males they probably attracted right at the beginning of the decade. And then here came all the females the minute they see Joe Elliott, you know, fighting that thing that he's getting turned around on, on the video or whatever. And as they get like better and better dressed, all of a sudden you got every woman kind of pining for these guys. So you got good songs, you got Mutt Lang, you got good looks, great timing. You got MTV, you got the new wave of British heavy metal effect. So they definitely landed on the big four for me. So my four was Bon Jovi and my three was Def Leppard. What do you think? Yeah. So you definitely put more thought into it than I did. I had a lot of similar thoughts that you had, but I streamlined my criteria. So honestly, I can tell you what I think of your picks, but I think it's just easier for me to go into what I used for my criteria and then give you my four and three, and then let's just discuss as a whole. Okay. So my criteria was really simple. I wanted to stick to the 80s and it didn't matter to me whether they got started in the 80s or ended in the 80s. It didn't matter whether they started in 1980 or whether they started in 1989. I just used the 80s as my guideline. I wanted to keep it hard rock or metal somewhere in and around there. And I wanted to look at the overall. So I used three things. The overall amount of albums they sold because... 
sales matter in this discussion. If you're talking about the big four, then sales matters because people's opinions matter. And if people uh, have opinions, they're buying albums. So the overall sales matter. The overall catalog matters to me. Uh, and what I mean by that is one album isn't necessarily good enough for me. So we need to have, you know, several successful albums in the 80s, not one album in the 80s. And then last but not least is it needed, they needed to have some sort of influence on everything that came after them, right? Those were the three things that I looked at. So sales, overall catalog and history, and then influence on the genre. And my number four was actually I was going to cheat a little bit because I had two stuck at number four because I sort of said, well, can I omit this band? And that was Guns N' Roses. Originally, I was like, because we've talked about it before. Can I put a band like Guns N' Roses in a big four thing because they essentially have one album? And that that was messing with me because I said, well, I want to look at the overall albums, the overall catalog. They got one album. But Guns N' Roses sold more than 100 million records worldwide, including 45 million in the United States. They were one of the best-selling acts in history. And that's hard for me to overlook. The influence that Guns N' Roses had, I think, is very hard to overlook. Obviously, this band has influenced a lot of people, whether it's been Slash or whether it's been Axel. There are other bands that have come with that Guns N' Roses flavor. Guns N' Roses got sort of a late start, right? They were 87, 88, somewhere in and around there, right? So that's sort of a late start. They were the tail end of, of what was the Sunset Strip, but they stood for everything that the Sunset Strip wasn't. They didn't come from the the poisons of the world or the rats or, or, or the Motley Crews. They were something completely different. So it was hard for me to omit them. But at the same time, Bon Jovi <laughs> releases 15 studio albums. So they have that catalog that I discussed. And like you've already covered, right? 130 million records sold worldwide. So technically better selling band than Guns N' Roses. Bon Jovi, absolutely one of the best-selling bands of all time, and I can't deny that. So really, honestly, I had Bon Jovi at number four with an asterisk next to Guns N' Roses because of the amount of albums for Appetite for Destruction and the overall influence. I don't necessarily think Bon Jovi had the major influence on bands. I'm not saying they didn't, but I think that that melodic rock big vocal thing came in the form of my number three band, which is Def Leppard. <laughs> Def Leppard to me is what opened up the doors to melodic hard rock on radio. They did a great job of melding that hard rock with those huge vocals and melodic melodies and courses. You can't deny two Diamond certifications in pyromanian hysteria, even though I think it's pyromania that really opened up the door, making them one of only five rock bands 
with two original studio albums that are diamond certified. I think we know who the other one is, right? Yep. So Van Halen, another one. To me, they're what opened up the doors for bands like Bon Jovi. So that's kind of how I look at it. So that's interesting. I think we're like really in line considering we didn't share this stuff. Yeah. The Guns N' Roses thing to me, I immediately discounted them because all those albums they sold, Bridges, 80s and early 90s. And both the Illusion albums are 91. So I immediately bounced them out. Yeah. Because, yeah, they got influence, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, this situation, they're not one of the big 80s. Now, if you said the big four of hard rock and hair metal, then Guns N' Roses ends up back in the conversation because now you're probably expanding it and you're probably looking at between like 83 and like 92, the years shift. So then Guns N' Roses is part of it. Bon Jovi, I don't know if I can say they didn't influence people because every time we talk about a song that's coming out in the late eighties, early nineties. We're like, oh, they're trying to do a Bon Jovi song here. They're trying to get a Bon Jovi hit. They're trying to do their wanted dead or alive. They're doing their living on a prayer. So obviously it was there, right? So there's some sort of influence. Yeah, you're right. I think that's true. I think I probably misspoke in saying that because I don't, I believe that to be true too. I think the point I was trying to make is that Def Leppard influenced the Bon Jovi's of the world. I think Bon Jovi influenced the later bands in the 80s that came right after them, the White Lions and the bands like that. So yeah, you're, you're right on that.
So, you know, like when we talk about this kind of stuff and we have a time frame, we like to throw other entertainment into it. <laughs> so the big four movies of the eighties, you want to take a wild shot. You think you can get one or two? What do you think the top four movies of the eighties were? Oh man. Yeah, that's tough. Cause I didn't look up any of this stuff. I'm going to shoot. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to go with like empire strikes back or return of the Jedi, something like that. That has to be in there. So top four, number four was Indiana Jones and the last crusade, which got released in 89, right at the tail end of the year. Yeah. Three is return of the Jedi, which was re- released in 83. Two is empire strikes back, yeah. which was released in, in 80 and number one, E. Wow. God, what year was that? 82. Seems like I was so young when that movie came out, but 82, shit, I was a sophomore in high school. You were already 30 by then. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So how about TV shows? Can you give me four big, see, like if I said 90s, you'd be all over Friends and Seinfeld. But what do you think the four biggest TV shows of the 80s were? I'm horrible with, with dates. So my dating is is messed up. I don't know. Barney Miller. <laughs> Barney Miller. Okay. Barney Miller did not make the top four. Number four was Cheers. Okay. Because it ran from 82 to 93. Yeah. Number two was The Cosby Show. It ran from 84 to 92. Number two was Dallas. Remember Dallas? Uh-huh. 78 to 91. Mash. And number one. Nope. Number one. No matter how you look at it, it's always there. 60 Minutes. Wow. It's been running since 1968. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, there was no YouTube or Twitter or Instagram to get your news on. So, you know, you had to get it from 60 Minutes. You had no choice. And now, a few minutes with Andy. I have quite a few bad habits, which I'm not going to talk about now because I only have a few minutes. But swearing and using dirty words is not one of my vices. Language is one of the best tools ever invented for anything, and English is by far the best language. We should be careful using it, though, so I'll damn well decide for myself what I can say and what I can't say. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next Sunday with another edition of 60 Minutes. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so we'll take a break from the action here. I got a super big favor to ask everybody. We come on here and we talk about joining our Facebook group and stuff like that. But let's face it, there's a lot of people that just don't have Facebook accounts and don't want to have anything to do with Facebook. So I have a really simple ask. Go leave us a five-star review somewhere, either at Apple Podcast, at Podchaser. We usually have the links in the show notes. So... Yeah, we're asking for a five-star review because ultimately these reviews do help us out. They help the podcast to get seen by other people. They pop up in feeds if you get enough five-star reviews and things like that. I understand everybody might not think that this is a five-star review, but if you're entertained, I would appreciate a decent review. It doesn't really help us out if you go there and say, yeah, it was okay. 
<laughs> that doesn't really help us out much. But if you go there and leave us a five-star review and you were entertained in some way, shape, or form by an episode or by the podcast as a whole, it really helps us out. And even if you've left us a review in the past, say a year ago or two years ago, leave us another review. It helps us. We haven't had any reviews in a while, Sonny. I know people are listening because I see the numbers every week. So either they're listening and they're not entertained or they're listening and they're entertained or they're listening and they just don't want to take two minutes out to leave us a review. I don't know which. What do you think? Is it possible? Uh, they're waiting for us to break up and then they'll do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can fake a breakup, but that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want to go through that much trouble of faking a breakup. So anyway, do us a favor, leave us a review. That's all I got to say about that. Now back to our entertainment. So we were talking about movies and TV shows before. This one's tougher. Big four actors of the 80s. Who do you think? Actors, not actresses. We'll do actresses separate. Big four actors of the 80s. Okay, I'm going to say Sly Stone. Uh, that is incorrect. You want to take another guess? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is correct. So number four is Michael Douglas. Okay. Right? Thanks to Wall Street and Fatal Attraction, War of the Roses, which was a great movie. Number three was Jack Nicholson. Romance in the Stone. Michael Douglas. Yes, yeah, that was yeah, that was on there too. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, The Shining, Batman, Prizzy's Honor, Witches of Eastwick, right? Yeah. Two was Harrison Ford, thanks to the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he did the Star Wars movies, and he did Blade Runner, and he did Working Girl. And so he was like playing like four different characters all the way through the 80s. But number one, De Niro. Because De Niro had some huge movies. The Untouchables, Once Upon a Time in America, Raging Bull, uh, Brazil, Midnight Run. Like, they're not his most popular movies, but he did a lot of them. Yeah. He was even bigger in the 90s. Yeah. Love it. What about Schwarzenegger? I, don't, I didn't go past the top four, but I'm sure he was on the list somewhere. But I think he bridges between 80s and 90s, though. I think he's that guy. Actresses is much harder. You think you can even get one? Meryl Streep? Wow. That, I would not have picked her, but she's number two. She won all the Oscars in the 80s, I think. Yeah, but uh, there's one that uh, got more box office, so she's the bigger actress. So four is Kathleen Turner. Romance so in all the, the movies she, Yeah, basically all the movies she did was in the 80s, right? Yeah. Glenn Close, thanks yeah. to Fatal Attraction, pretty much. The Big Chill, probably. The Natural doesn't hurt. Uh, Meryl Streep, Sophie's Choice out of Africa. I mean, she won all those awards for um, all the movies she was in. Sigourney Weaver was number one. Ghostbusters, Aliens, yeah. uh, the Gorilla Mist, Gorillas in the Mist, yeah. Working Girls, the years, uh, the Year of Living Dangerously. Like it was a big box office movies. I don't think she did any movies in the nineties really. Like these four ladies weren't exactly huge hits in the nineties. Yeah, you know what I mean. So just thought it was interesting. Yeah, very cool. All right, so I'm gonna go to my number two. I thought that out of our four, since we did not share with each other, that our three and four had no shot to be the same but that our one and two were probably going to end up being the same. So we may actually end up having the same exact list and not share it. So I went to the sunset strip with number two and I went Van Halen. So we've talked about a ton about Van Halen this year. You can check out all the reviews we did uh, all the way through the year. It's on the feed. Different than Def Leppard and Bon Jovi, these guys get a head start with having two major albums in the 70s and they come in the 80s with some momentum. 
They released six albums in the 80s, so Women and Children First, Fair Warning, Diver Down, 84, 5150, OU812. All the albums were in the top 10 of Billboard 200. 5150, OU812 both went number one. 84 sold Diamond. The other five went multi-platinum. 15 out of the 17 singles hit the Hot 100. Five top 20 singles. Jump went to number one. All the success. And they changed singers dead in the middle of the decade, which is amazing. You know, you got Hagar. You got Roth. You got... Uh, guitar God, you got charisma with the two singers, great songs. You got the party, you got the MTV. That's why they landed, landed number two for me. And believe it or not, I got one bigger and we'll go to number one in a second here. I'm assuming your Van Halen was probably one or two. <laughs> Do you want me to give you that decision now? Or you want me to give you, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. So why don't you go ahead and give me your number one? So that was your two. Go ahead and give you give me the number one. So let's see if we end up being the same. Yep. So a number one, I go to Australia and I went with ACDC. Okay. Right. So different than the other three that I shared, ACDC is coming in the eighties with major momentum, right? They've gotten bigger in the seventies. They're coming off a highway to hell. Their singer dies. The next album back in black goes diamond. They released six albums in the eighties back in black for those about to rock flick of the switch, fly on the wall, who made who and blow up your video. Now, all of these albums went to the top 40 in Billboard 200. Those about to rock went to number one. Back in Black's Double Diamond, you got two multi-platinum in there and three platinum. And even the Jailbreak 74 EP that got released in 84, that went platinum too. They released 23 singles, bunch of reissues from the 70s too, but only four of them hit the Hot 100 because they're not really known as singles bands. And if you were to look at it, you're like, eh, flick of the switch, fly on the wall. Uh, could you name two or three songs off those albums? Like, are they really that big? Here's why they got it for me. You got the seventies momentum. You got the good consistent songs. You got the new wave of British heavy metal, even though they're an Australian band effect, you got loyal fans. You got mass appeal to all genres. You got overall greatness and you cannot go to a concert in the eighties or afterwards without ACDC songs playing on the fucking intercom radio, whatever the, what is that? The, the speakers or whatever, right? You can't get away from it. They have to be the biggest band of the eighties. And you would think, ah, eh, they probably span 70 to 80, but reality is they sold a hell of a lot more albums in the eighties. They just were not guys. You put posters of on walls. Instead, you put their logo on the wall instead. So ACDC is my number one.
I can't argue with either one of those in any way, shape, or form. Our list isn't exactly the same. I think one of the reasons that ACDC is not on my list is because I almost treat ACDC as one of the forefathers of hard rock and metal. Now, I know that they're not often talked about in the same breath as the Black Sabbath and Zeppelins and things like that. But because they did have a lot of material in the 70s, I sort of omitted them. But at the same time, it's very easy to make a case for them in the 80s, given that they had the biggest selling hard rock album of all time in Back in Black. So honestly, on my list, off my list, I can't argue either way with that. So it's a solid list. I'll go ahead and give you my number two and number one and why. So for me, number two was Motley Crue. And here's why. The band sold over a hundred million records worldwide. So that's a whole lot of album sales. Makes them one of the best selling bands of all time. The other fact is that they've got a huge catalog. So they've got a lot of albums. If you look at their history, they essentially went from glam metal on their first album to heavy metal back to glam metal. So the influence that they had on bands in the 80s, especially, was immense. So I just look at the overall influence that they had on the bands, their overall catalog, the fact that they've sold 100 million records. I felt pretty good about having them from the Sunset Strip, considering they came from a pinnacle of the Sunset Strip. So that's why they landed at number two for me. And number one for me, is Van Halen. You've already given all the stats on Van Halen, not to mention the amount of influence that was done by both David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. Are you kidding me? The people that both of those guys alone influenced on top of all the album sales that they had, that makes them a shoe-in for the big four for me.
Yeah, so I told you I bounced out four folks, right? So I bounced out Journey because they weren't hard rock or hair metal. I bounced out Guns N' Roses because of the whole 80, 90s bridge. Mm-hmm. Motley was one of the other ones that I bounced out just because I was like, eh, yeah, they've sold a hundred million, but that really happened throughout time, right? And who would who would fill the arena, ACDC or Motley Crue? Eh, you could probably argue both could, right? So the other one that I was considering was Aerosmith because they made a comeback, right? But, uh, when you, when you think about the eighties though, you don't always hear Aerosmith. People talk, people talk about them as a seventies band. No. And I struggled with bands like, yeah. And that's exactly why they didn't make my list because bands like Kiss and bands like Aerosmith, to me, those are, those are seventies or even forefathers of hard rock and metal. So that's why specifically when I was talking about putting this big four together, I kind of threw in there to keep it to 80s. That's exactly why. Because bands like Aerosmith and Kiss to me are from the 70s. They had a name long before the 80s even came about, even even if they had success in the 80s, which both of them did. All right. So, you know, we got to connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So the 80s for Kiss were <laughs> ridiculous. Members changes. Makeup comes off. You got eight studio albums. Unmasked, Elder, that piece of shit. Creatures of the Night, Lick It Up, Animalize, Asylum, Crazy Nights, and Hot the Shade. You get two greatest hits albums with Killers and Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Everything hits the Billboard 200 except for Killers. All of them peaked above number 100 and crazy nights did the best going to 18 you had four gold albums in there you had three platinum the best selling out of all these were smashes that went double platinum you had 19 singles 10 of them hit the top the hot 100 so we had plenty of songs to choose from so i just kind of went with naked city but then i didn't want to play like the original naked city by kiss off of unmasked because the production's a little thin so here is yorn landy off of 2000's Unlocking the Past, Nor, uh, I think this, yeah, he's, he's from Norway, and this is his version of Naked City. Check it out.
Yeah, so I've had this album for a long time, man. I like Yorn Landy. If you've never heard of him, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that hadn't heard of Yorn. Uh, they usually don't f- refer to him as Yorn Landy. They just usually refer to him as Yorn, J-O-R-N. But go check him out because he's got a bunch of different cover albums out there. But this cover album in particular, Unlocking the Past, it's got some good shit on there. Uh, and it sounds awesome. Like he does a cover of Burn. He does a cover of Kill the King, which is really good on there. This Naked City cover is good. He's got some great stuff. And I've actually checked out some of his other things as well. I went down a rabbit hole with him fairly recently. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff with him. He works around with a lot of uh, uh, Norwegian players that we've all come to know over the course of the last couple of years. So definitely go give him a listen and check out some of his other shit. Yeah, he's a bit odd. And uh, so I'll just warn you, listener, if you don't know who Jorn Landy is, he's got a great voice. It can be at times like a Dio theatrical type voice at times, which is fine because he pulls it off until you see the visual. So I would encourage you to listen to Jorn without videos because I think the videos, he's got this kind of mannerisms of the way he sings and it makes him feel like he's more opera and theatrical than he really is. If you just kind of listen to it, right? So it's almost, his mannerisms are almost distracting. I, I hate to say that, but that, that is reality of the situation. So I would say, listen to him on tape first, Spotify, then go to YouTube later on, right? Otherwise you might get turned off. See, this is why I don't ever watch video or anything. I mean, I'll be honest. I never have seen video. I've always just listened to it. So music doesn't need to be visual for me. <laughs> and, and it sounds you. like that was a good choice uh, based on what you just said. Uh, yes, it was. Okay. Well, no need to seek that out then, is there? <laughs> yeah. So I think if you look at the big four from the 80s, hard rock, hair metal, let's say, you're going to come up with probably seven to 10 bands you could argue could fit the bill. So I don't think you're really going to be wrong no matter what, because there was a lot of bands that had a lot of success. So I think what, what you're hearing from us is we had to figure out a way to trim the list and move it around and kind of put our own, I guess, stop gaps and kind of draw our own line saying, okay, well, I'm not going to choose this because of this, but yeah, you could argue probably 10 bands could make that list. Sonny, what would be the big four of MTV pop? In the eighties. Oh my God. <laughs> so culture club, hollow notes and uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, definitely. George Michael, Madonna, Madonna. Absolutely. What were the other things that kept coming up, kept coming up, kept like it was over and over and over. That's what Duran Duran. Oh my God. How many times was Duran Duran on TV? Yeah. Right. So you could probably come up with 10 of those that could be part of that. Yeah. Right. Like if you add Phil Collins plus Genesis, you got a whole thing there too. Yeah. That would be a difficult one. Yeah. That would be tough. (laughs) This is a good fun episode and a good discussion. I mean, I just always wondered why, you know, the big four of metal and thrash and why those four bands and where that all came from and what people base their things off of. I've heard over time that people have said that they felt like Testament and Overkill uh, deserved spots in the big four versus maybe a Slayer or a Megadeth or an Anthrax. You know, I don't know. Metallica, I think, definitely needs to be there. 
anthrax, I would say, needs to be there because sometimes people forget the influence that anthrax had when they were doing stuff with public enemy and stuff. You know, a lot of that, they were at the forefront of a lot of that, like uh, rap metal stuff and things like that. Those were some of the first earlier versions of that stuff, right? Yeah, there's uh, the thrash thing is a little convoluted, is almost as convoluted as the hair metal thing because you got two that are huge. Really, there's one huge. Metallica's huge. I don't even know if you could say Megadeth is huge, right? Like if he's playing theaters, and I just keep saying he, because really it's Mustaine, right? Yeah. If they're playing theaters, it'd be a miracle. I'm not sure they can sell out theaters, to be honest with you. Not without somebody else. But we know Metallica could sell arenas slash stadiums. So we know that. So with them, it gets a little convoluted because you got one that's leading the charge. I think in grunge, it's easier because there was these four massive ones and then a few others, right? There's a bunch of others, but they're at a second tier. Just like for us, like if Cinderella would have been bigger or Rats bigger or Dawkins bigger, well, then now you have, it gets very convoluted very, very quickly. Who would you put in your big four of grunge, even though you're not a grunge fan? I wouldn't have four. I'd stop at three and I'd have a hard time with the third, but I would put Pearl Jam there just because there's some songs I enjoy. But there's no way I'm putting Nirvana on that list because I can't stand them. Yeah, but you're you're judging based on your taste. I'm saying overall, you have to put uh, Nirvana on the list because yeah. So then I would go with the four I had: Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. Yeah, I got the same four. That's exactly what I put as well. We're on the same page there. I mean, and that's what I put, and I think that's I think that's accurate. I don't think you'd get a whole lot of argument out of that. Awesome! Yay! Another episodes in the books. Yeah. So make sure to share yours, you know, give us a story of why would you put them in the top four instead of maybe the, really we talked about five bands, right? So we talked about ACDC, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, and Motley Crue. So between the two of us, we had those five in the top. Give us, you know, maybe your thought process and why somebody else deserves it instead. Cause I'm sure somebody will come up with something. Oh man, rats gotta be on there, dude. Rats playing the local in and out burger right now. <laughs> I don't know if they can be considered one of the big four. No, somebody's going to throw G and R in that list. Like I told you, the overall influence and the amount of albums that they sold, it won't be able to be denied. But my problem was, is the same thing in which we did the episode on, which is, is guns and roses really that great? Because it all centers around one album. One period of time, one album, and it's carried them to this day to where they can still play stadiums today. It's a, it's an unbelievable phenomenon to me, but it is what it is. <laughs> Somebody's going to throw them in on that list. I'm curious to hear what else somebody throws in, but I would urge you just to not throw bands you love on the list, but more or less look at the criteria in which we used between the two of us. Influence. Overall sales, I think those two things have to be part of it. And then, you know, I say overall catalog. So do they have a big body of work throughout the 80s that uh, warrants being thrown on a list called the big four? I don't know. Somebody can't throw lynch mob or uh, white lion on this list. Put it that way. <laughs> they could. You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true and probably will and then we'll have it out in the forums right 
So anyway, uh, good episode. Thank you guys once again for joining us. Thank you guys for listening each and every week. We hope you guys find some entertainment out of these discussions like we do. We hope you enjoy some of the music that we're playing. And we hope that you guys will go leave us a five-star review somewhere where it will help the podcast be exposed to others. That's it for me. Sonny, you got anything to add? No, thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback. And we will catch you soon. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 